Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast, our season review edition. I'm Kev. I've got the whole of the gang back with us uh, this time. I've got Tony, got Easy. James, I've got Simon, and we're also joined by town fan Mick Follett. Chaps, thanks for joining me. I hope you're all well. Yep. Yeah, pretty good, mate. Yep. Yeah, very good, thanks. Excellent stuff. There's only one place to start, really, isn't there? Um, it's like picking out your favourite ice cream flavour, choosing who to start from here, actually, to be fair. Uh, I'll start with you, James, as you were at the final game. The Great Escape completed it. Yeah, it did. Um, it was a really great game. Um, well, after the first five minutes, anyway. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they they did it. And uh, the good thing was they did it in um, such a way that it still made it a little bit interesting. Uh, but has put it all in their hands and um yeah to finish 19th is something i would have never seen i, I wouldn't have predicted that at all so um yeah it was amazing it, it was kind of weird though being there and i've talked about how i don't really like being at the games without fans but um so we, we did the game and they survived and there was probably there was more people in the um executive boxes this time so there was a little bit more noise but then it was kind of like uh, all the players just sort of gathered in the centre circle, just had a little chat for a while and walked off without any fans to clap at or anything. And then um, they brought the, the kitchen, the Kettle Toad kitchen brought some beers out on the pitch and they sort of stood at appropriate distances from each other having a beer. It was a bit like Sunday League, like you just stayed up in the Sunday League or something rather than this amazing achievement that they just... Uh, pulled off but uh yeah it's a it was a great it was a great period actually the, the two months and nine games um apart from the ready one and uh yeah it's amazing that they're in the championship next season yeah it absolutely is um simon i get i mean james has just touched on the kind of anti sort of climax element to it but i mean you know, you enjoyed yourself that night. Clearly, you went viral on uh, on Twitter with one piece of your commentary and things like that. But we never were going to do it the easy way, were we? You know, it's something about great escapes and three-two wins on final days. We've been there before, and the more the game went on, the more you could see it happening again. Yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible but surreal experience that evening. And you know, as you said, we don't ever do it the easy way with the way the points had been accumulated over the previous eight games, we'd sort of got points we didn't expect and then we didn't get points that we had hoped to have got. So we got there in the end. That was the main thing. Um, as James said, we finished 19th, which, you know, even 20th without Wigan's points deduction, um, you know, is, is above where we needed to be. So it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was, and it was a, a, a good team effort. And by team, I mean, right from top to bottom within the squad and the playing staff and management team and behind the scenes, everybody played their part. And yeah, I mean, for me, you know, to be able to commentate on it, it's the first time I've actually commentated on a last day decider like that. Um, obviously, we had the promotion one last season where it was a case of winning the league or not, um, but we knew we were up. But this was the first one, you know, the last, it's gone to the last day. It's a big game. You know, we didn't do it the easy way by going a goal down as well, which just, you know, the heart rate. I dread to think if I'd have been put on a heart monitor for that 90 plus minutes. But uh, we, we got there in the end and that's the main thing. And it's championship for 2021. 
You talk about your heart monitor. My heart must have skipped many a beat when Christian Walton suddenly sauntered into the picture <laughs> in the 97th minute for absolutely no reason. You go back, son. There's no need for you whatsoever. Um, apart from that, though, I was I was generally all right. Tony, it's great to say the words that we are a championship club next, isn't it? Oh, it, it, it it's amazing. I mean, um, I think they, they must have heard the roars in uh, Blackburn when uh, we scored. Everybody at home, you know, it was unbelievable. And the collective, uh, I don't know, sigh or uh, colourful language that was probably across the town and the surrounding area when we went 1-0 down as well. But no, it, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful achievement because... Honestly, go, going into this lockdown period, I think, um, you know, who we look dead and buried. You know, we look dead and buried. And uh, everybody was assuming, I mean, I'm not saying Luton fans did, but everybody um, out there thought we were going. It was us and maybe Hull and Barnsley or whatever. But actually to, to do it and do it the way we did it um, and then finish, you know, clear, of, of of the bottom three and and you know we're not involved in all the shenanigans that are going on at the moment it's fantastic and you could see what it meant to all of those players as well I mean the, the, what um, brought it home for me was when Loire Loire scored at Hull and you saw them celebrating that goal and you, you saw all the substitutes coming down out of the seats and celebrating with him on the pitch and it was the same at, at the end of the Blackburn game um, Unreal, and and it's when you see things like that, you realise what a team spirit that we've got. Um, and I, I think it's a magnificent achievement that we've managed to stay up, considering what we've gone through this season. Um, you know, we, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, we're not we're not huge payers or anything like that. But the players have fought for us; they've worn the shirt with pride, and uh, I think we should all be immensely proud of our team at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. We should, Mick. It was a, uh, a, a just another crazy evening in a in a crazy line of Luton Town evenings. Really, I mean, how did you see it from your point of view? How were your nerves that night? My nerves were shot. I can tell you. Um, I was watching it at home um, with my daughter uh, on the laptop, and I tell you now, when we went one nil down, I thought we we were demoralised, and I thought, oh no, it can't happen. But we galvanised the team. The team galvanised itself. And I thought it was a well-deserved win in the end. And I think I was really proud of the uh, of the football club. When you consider there's been no fans at Kenilworth Road, what, for, for nine matches, and we know what the Kenny's like, we know what the fans are like, that we get behind the boys and we make a lot of noise. We're the 12th man, you know? And um, I was a bit concerned. No people there to make that sort of, that galvanised that that uh, that uh, that noise and that passion, um, but boy, they did it and they did it in style. Um, I just want to say, I agree with Tony that the Loire Loire goal that uh, Hull for me really he said to me, "We can do this." Um, and the way the team celebrated, they knew how important it was, and I think that's what gave us the opportunity to do what we did at Blackburn. Um, and Blackburn were there to win; they they were no pushover. Um, Christian Walton, as um, it was said, we went in the box in the last couple of seconds, and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen here? Um, they they were no pushover. They wanted to win. They wanted to push, push us down to the uh, League One. So it was a great performance, and 
My heart's still pounding now, I can tell you. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you say that. I, you should have, I was party to the WhatsApp that Mick was sending out, and uh, we don't call him Nervous Mick for nothing. You know, <laughs> these WhatsApp were just, they're entertaining, never mind the game. <laughs> it was, it's one of those nights where wherever you were sat watching it, you didn't move just in case you jinxed it. It was, uh, yeah, truly special. James, we should pay homage to Blackburn, actually, because actually they turned out to be the perfect opponent for us, scored twice for us. Decided to give away a penalty for absolutely no reason as well. Um, apart from sending the goalkeeper up when there was absolutely no need to, what fantastic opponents to have on the final day. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those days where, you know, you know, football fans are often uh, quick to say that you have the worst luck in the world, but everything went for Luton that day. I mean, to be 2-1 up and not even have had a shot on target was... Uh, was something you don't see every day um, for, for Luton. But no, they did. They, they came to play. And um, you know, for those first five minutes, uh, I was a bit concerned. But somehow um, Luton turned it round. I mean, there was a bit of a tactical switch, wasn't there? They recognised that wasn't working immediately. And, and that, that helped. So, uh, yeah, it was just one of those games where, I mean, at 3-1, it was so comfortable. And you just thought, we can just relax now, and then somehow the lad flicks it in from nowhere, top bins, and you and you worry because I mean I was spending just as much time while I was there looking at the scores from the other games, and everything was going the right way until Barnsley score, and then you're like, it is squeaky bum time then because any equaliser from from Blackburn could throw a spanner in the works, so. Uh, it was amazing. I mean, I, uh, I, I, like I said, I didn't see, I didn't think that they could do it. I, I thought after Barnsley game, they, that was it. They were down. The players looked like it as well. Afterwards, they knew it was a big, big result. They needed to, um, need to get something. And they, they only, well, they, they threw two points away, really, didn't they? So, um, but the performances after that, uh, to to get to the to to the last day, which is what they said they always wanted to do, were. Well, wonderful. Wasn't it nice though, James, at the season we'd had that we actually got some luck for a change in that last game? You know, the yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. and you know, with the two on goals. And yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. But when you think about some of the goals we've had ruled out earlier in the season, mm. you know, yeah, yeah, you think about the Matty Pierce one against Leeds yeah. and uh, and the like. But I think it also shows that if you put the ball in that area, which often often wasn't happening early part of the season anything can happen if you whip it in uh, you know with enough intent uh, and, and luckily <laughs> Rovers defenders were were generous that day so uh, <laughs> let's hope the luck continues I say yeah that first one reminded me of the Mick Arthredone goal against Derby back in uh, <laughs> 91 very similar circumstances Simon the boys have touched on that whole um, win prior to the Blackburn game every bit as important as we now know I mean you were the only one out of the five of us that were there that day um another great day and and, and I echo what Tony said actually the celebrations after the goal in particular really did show that we meant business but I mean really one nil was probably the most flattering scoreline Hull have had all season, and they've had a few Tonkins this season. Yeah, indeed. It just it didn't look as though it was going to be our day, did it? I mean, the first half was fairly edgy, as you would expect. The second half, I thought we were far more in control of it, and we had the chances. 
Um, you know, George Moncur, Danny Hilton have both had good chances, um, been shots at the keeper, been one or two blocked. But yeah, it was just one of those where it just kept going on and on. And eventually Kaz comes up with heck of a strike. Um, you know, it was only when I saw it back, I realised how far out it had been because I just really hadn't noticed at the time that I think with all the, the fact it just hit the back of the net, we just sort of thought, oh, where's he hit that from? And by then he's somersaulting his way to the touchline and celebrating with the, the management team and all the subs that were running out of the stand. I mean, you've got to give uh, fair dues to Harry Cornett for making his way down that stand on the, what I presume are concrete steps with football boots on and not yeah. going arse over the tit. Um, <laughs> fair, fair play to him there. Uh, absolutely great win. Both of those were great wins. But Mick, where where are we putting this on the on the list of achievements that this club have had? I mean, when you bear in mind the last sort of six seasons, we've had three promotions. Prior to that, we've stayed up in the top flight and things like that. Where do you kind of where do you house this achievement as a standalone? As a standalone achievement, I think it's right up there. It's one of the top ones, to be quite truthful. I mean, when we went down in 92 um, and we lost out on the Premier League, we went down to one of Notts County. That's probably, if you like, something to look back on and think, well, that's, that was a real huge disappointment and a missed opportunity. Whereas this time, we've grasped it. And I think to be a championship side with our budget um, and, and, our, and, and, and ground, we love the Kenny, but we know it's limited to 10,000 people um, and, and the financial impact that has on the club. I think it's amazing what we've done and um, and it's good for the future. So I put it right up there. Tony, what, where would you um, list it on the achievements? Probably better than the than the recent promotions, I think it's fair to say, but where whereabouts in the overall scheme of things? Um, it, it's been compared to Manchester City in 83 uh, and that was important because we went on uh, to win a major trophy. Um, within the 10 years that we were last in the top flight. Um, I, I, I think it's absolutely vital because um, the journey we've been on and, and where we've been, I think if, if we had gone down as supporters, we'd, we'd have been very much sort of, OK, we're disappointed, but we go again. But actually for the club and for the financial implications of the club, it would have been a disaster. Um, I, I, I think you'd have seen most of the players gone. Uh, been replaced with players of, of less quality. And um, it really, if, if you go down from the championship to League One, you've got to look at it, you've really got to bounce back straight away. You know, I mean, Rotherham have managed to do it, Barnsley did it, and they've stayed up with us. And it seems that if you don't, then you struggle. I mean, you've only got to look at Sunderland and, I mean, Portsmouth, Coventry are back now and... They both went down to League Two, um, Hull, you know, and, and, and a lot of the, cl- the clubs that are going down are, are basket cases, you know, Wigan, um, Charlton and Hull. You know, the, the, the financial implications for all three of those clubs are, are not great. And I, I, I think that we can breathe a huge sigh of relief and, and, and we can think that, do you know what, it is a major, a major achievement because when you look at it, and you think the mountain we had to climb and the ob- obstacles that were there. Um, and we struggled and, you know, it was hard going. But as Luton fans, we know that's what life's like. And it, 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 I think staying up in the championship, considering how much it has changed from the last time we were there, I think is a fantastic achievement. And, and for me, it's right up there. 
And Simon, we'll look ahead briefly to next season a little later. But already there's there's signs of life and optimism for next season because we now know Sheffield Wednesday are going to start next season pending an appeal on on minus 12 points. And we've got three promoted clubs coming up, each of whom we comfortably got the better of last season. So there's no reason why we can't be looking up now that we've stayed in the championship. That's right. I would certainly hope that um, you know the signs are positive from the end of the season. And, and by that, I, I include perhaps the last half a dozen games under the previous manager as well, because you know the last 15 games, the last third of the season, we've amassed a, a really good number of points compared to other teams in the bottom half and even some in the top half. So, you know, the performance is, OK, we weren't comfortably winning games and, you know, feeling from the start to the end that, yeah, there's three points here, but we were winning games. We looked a lot tighter at the back um, with the exception of the Reading game. Um, and, you know, the, the way we were playing, it, just the confidence seems to have come back under Nathan. And, yeah, I think there's every reason to be positive for next season and certainly hope that, you know, we're not even thinking about um, the bottom three towards the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, James, I've written on your website a few times recently that time is going to sort of determine how we look back on history. And we're now going to look back on that move to swap Graham Jones with Nathan Jones as a masterstroke of a decision. Well, yeah, it was. He's absolutely galvanised the team uh, and the squad. Um, you know, I was speaking to Danny Hilton today and he was talking about his, his contract, which he signed last week, his new two-year contract. Uh, and essentially, Nathan went in there, put his arm around these players that had been left in the cold, said, I want you. And I want, regardless of what division we're in, I want you. <clears throat> and that lifts their spirit. So that helps them to help the team and the players that had been playing a lot. It's just that, sort of unity and together and it it's uh it, it seems like it's it's back to where it was and that um maybe they can now make up for that lost time and the good thing is they don't have to make up for that lost time with any detrimental effect to the club because they're still in the division they want to be um <clears throat> you know well, we've said it before many times so i couldn't have seen that happening um i think it blindsided everybody uh, we all said we we're not running back, but he's atoned for that. I think um, you know I, I, I've forgiven him. Um, not just not just because he kept him up. I kept I, I did a while before a couple of podcasts back. I think uh, I said I, I had time to sort of move forward, um, and the effect that that momentum from the final nine games and actually you know give give credit to the. Like like Simon says, give credit to the half dozen games before the lockdown. That momentum that they can take into next season is huge, uh, considering what you what you've outlined there, which is um, at least one club we know pending an appeal. Except for Wednesday, it will be um, they'll be in relegation. That would be relegation form if they play like they did this season. They would have finished bottom, uh, and so then you, you're looking at well, can you beat Wickham? You'd like to think so, uh, and can you beat uh, the two other teams that have come up? So, I think yeah, it, it's a good chance to look up. It's a, it's a good a chance now as to um, consolidate in this league, which is what what we needed to do. Um, and uh, sort of in terms of the uh, achievement as well, uh, I think you 
you, me and Tony sat around the desk when that was allowed at the beginning of the season and said that if Luton stayed up on the last day of the season on goal difference, one point above the drop zone, that would be a successful season. Well, they bet that. They did They did fight back that in the end. So it's a huge, huge achievement. And um, there's football fans are often drawn into debates about comparisons between eras. I think you, I think it's it's you just can't compare them anymore because the money that dominates football these days is so uh, intrusive into the whole game. You can't deny that the, the, the teams with the most do the best, whereas it was a bit more of an even even playing field uh, back in the day. Don't get me wrong, there were bigger clubs like Liverpool, Man United in the eighties that Luton had to face, but they weren't. There weren't clubs owned by Russian oligarchs and Gulf states and the like, and, and and there's a lot of money washing around in the championship as well. So it's a very rich leagues. So to be able to stay in in there and stave off the financial um, woes that would have befallen them if they dropped down into League One, which you know Gary Sweet said himself, we're looking at six million quid. It's a lot of money for a team and a club like Luton. So everything points points up. I think I've just got to commend you before we go forward that with your memory you've actually remembered something that happened near on 12 months ago hey. uh, so fair, fair, absolutely fair play to you um, for that but you're spot on we did say that and we do still think that Simon James mentioned Gary Sweet then uh, him and everyone on the board deserve a huge amount of credit for bringing Nathan back sorry for putting the past with Nathan behind them and then bringing him back because well, who knows if we'd have stayed up without him, but one of the things for sure is the club feels like it's in a better place under him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, even, you know, the players, as James said, Danny Hilton's done an interview today and he's talked about the difference that Nathan's made coming back in. Other players have, have mentioned it as well. And, you know, as you say, that nobody's got a crystal ball to know what would have happened in those nine games with or without him if uh, Graham Jones had still been there or somebody else. But, yeah, certainly the the impact on the club seems positive. Um, you know, difficult to uh, to gauge without fans being at games and enjoying the atmosphere and everything that goes with it. But at the end of the day, it's a results business as well, isn't it? And we've got the results with just one defeat in those nine. And as I said earlier, you know, the running after the break has, has carried on as it did go going into the break and, and we've achieved it. And um, James was talking about previous eras and um, you were talking about... Uh, fans not thinking that we were going to do it. I think I may have mentioned in a podcast uh, two or three ago that uh, 89-90, six points behind with three games to go and we stood up and stayed up and therefore we needed to keep the faith. And, you know, it's come true, hasn't it? We, we've turned it around in remarkable fashion. Uh, and as I said earlier, that's down to, to absolutely everybody. But yeah, the board to bring Nathan back, to forgive him and everything else that they've done as well, because... You've had all the financial issues going on with COVID. They've had everything that the clubs had to to do behind the scenes and at the same time change a manager. You know, that real credit to, to the board for making decisions, making tough decisions at times, but also, um, you know, everything that's gone on behind the scenes to, to get us where we are now. Yeah, indeed. Mick, I'm interested on your thoughts on all of this because you're the guest on the podcast. How were you with Nathan's return before these nine games? Has your mind changed if indeed it needed to? And how do you feel about him being manager of the club in the future? Yeah, I mean, 
I listened to the, to, to the, the the podcast, and I think my my uh, feelings and attitude was similar to what's been contributed in the past. I was very concerned when um, I heard Nathan was in the frame to come back, and he did come back, and I I was concerned about integrity and 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 how he behaved. Was he the man to come back and take us forward? Um, but then you think about it, he um, didn't have to come back. He came back to a club that he knew he'd, he he might have some flack. He, he he took it head head on. So um, full marks to Nathan for doing that. Um, full marks to Mick Hartford for nudging Gary, and Gary and the board for having the guts and the bottle really to have that open and honest conversation with Nathan and Bill Bridges. And do you know what? Sometimes people fit like a, a hand in a glove. Nathan's good for Luton, and Luton's good for Nathan. And and what you can't argue with is um, one defeat in nine. What you can't argue with is the defence was a lot tighter. All right, we had CCV, I get that. But James Bree was a much better player under Nathan. He was probably the most improved player in those nine matches, in my opinion. But the whole team looked more galvanised. And what Nathan says to me as a fan and supporter is that he's a really good leader, a really good leader of people. And any successful business doesn't matter what walk of life you're in, you need to be good at leadership. And he, and he also looked as if he inspired them and they really wanted to play for him. I mean, the reaction with Lala when he got that goal at Hull, we talked about that earlier, but the way everyone reacted and jumped up and down and were together was fantastic. So for me, he's redeemed himself um, fully behind Nathan. I think we've got a really good opportunity next season. I feel quite good about it, actually. Um, and I think what we could be finding ourselves is sort of mid-table, dare I say it. And um, we might be touching on this later, but uh, I feel more confident now um, that Nathan's back than I would have done, to be honest. And what you can't argue with is his results, you know, and he did it. Fair play to him. James, you're nodding away. I mean, you're in complete agreement. Yeah, I mean, you make some very good points there that, uh, <laughs> you know, it, Everything that we we feared that might might go wrong with coming back didn't transpire, uh, and it, it went the opposite way. In fact, so um, I, I I wouldn't begrudge anybody that wants to say that there's an opportunity to to finish mid table in this division. Um, I think they've had a season to get used to it. Um, hopefully, he keeps the squad together, and there's three players that have deals. On the table, hopefully they stay, and they can and they can add uh, add to those players, um, and maybe bring one or two of the loans back, or, 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 or pick out some other ones that uh, are going to do Luton well. And I think it's a I think it's a huge huge opportunity. So many things they've done it themselves to get into this position, but so many other things are sort of going for the club uh, for them to be able to start being in a mainstay in this division. And I think that's going to be so important. It's where, the, it's where this club at least need to be. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Tony Mick said that um, Nathan fits the club and the club fits Nathan. And I absolutely agree with that. I said that in, a, in an interview just after we, um, we stayed up. But what is it about him and the club that's just so perfectly matched? I... <sighs> I think when he when he first came into the club, he, he was like a breath of fresh air. He came in with some really innovative ideas and how to take the, the club forward. And 
it, it certainly took us to the next level from uh, John Still. And uh, I, I think what it is, he's modernised the club. Um, and I think Nathan realises he, 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 he does owe the club a lot. Um, and it, it's something we've always, we've always tended to do well when, when we've had um, young managers come in, generally. I mean, I, 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 you have to compare him to David Pleat when he first came in. And they tend to more than make their stamp on the club. Um, and he's ambitious and he knows we're ambitious. And uh, I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why um, it is such a good fit. I mean, you know, I I was one of those, like, you know, like a lot of other people that wasn't that happy about him coming back. Um, and looking at it, I think he was really on the hiding to nothing coming in. But I think he's actually been, he's been lucky because... Um, he's had a shot of redemption. He's taken it, but also the fact that these nine ga- games were behind closed doors as well, and the the fact that if the games had been played in front of crowds, it might not have gone as smoothly as as possible. Um, but I, I think twenty twenty have been vindicated in bringing him back. Um, it was a masterstroke. Um, and it, it's just shown you what a, what a motivator he is. And that, that's what Luton needed at the time, was um, somebody to get those players um, up and putting more effort in. And as, as it's been said in the past, that, um, you know, the players would run through brick walls for him. You've, and, and, you know, as it's been touched on here, you've only got to see the reaction of the players to him coming back. And you knew that, um, like you said, James, if he's done that and he's gone in the dressing room and put his arm around the players who were frozen out, you knew that they were going to go on the pitch and they were going to give him 100% at the very least. Um, so, excuse me, he's um, he's been good. And, and, and going forward, uh, I'm like Mick, I'm, I'm really looking forward to next season. I'm looking forward to who'll come in and, and how he'll take us on because... We always looked at the uh, at the team and, and, and we were, you know, when we were playing, we were unlucky. We played some good football. Unfortunately, we had some times where things weren't so great. But that's what we needed for that last nine games. We just needed somebody. You basically could come in and give the players uh, a kick up the arse in the right way. And I think that's what he's done. Um, <clears throat> although a lot of Luton fans will never forget what he did. It's time to forgive him and to move on and back him 100% for next season. Yeah, you've all mentioned um, that he's kind of fortunate that there were no crowds. That I dread to, We've mentioned heart rates. I dread to think what his heart rate would have been like if there was a crowd in that Blackburn game because he'd have certainly been giving it the big and afterwards, wouldn't he? Simon, the thing that impressed me, actually, and, you know, I hold my hands up. I've been critical of him um, while he's been away and wasn't particularly enamoured by his return. But the thing that impressed me is we're not attuned to that diamond now. When we got promoted under him in League Two and the early parts of League One, you know, you'd have to pay heaven and earth to get away from that diamond. But now, you know, there's a there's a there's more of a fluctuation, less kind of reliance on that diamond. And actually, we played a lot of the games four two three one, which probably suits the squad that we've got. Yeah, you're quite right there, Kevin. And I think part of the diamond aspect comes down to we've not got um, the same 
quality of fullback as JJ and Jack Stacey, um, with all due respect to the players that we have got, you know, when you've got one on each side that's has gone for six million plus each to, you know, Premier League clubs, then you've got two very, very good fullbacks in League One. Um, the Championship is also a different kettle of fish for style of play and the players that you're coming up against. So those two factors. And yeah, you're right. We, we didn't see the diamond much at all during the end of the season. But what he did do was he created formations for the uh, the opposition that we were playing and for the matches that we were in. Um, you know, there was a couple of surprises when Elliot Lee first started out wide on the left of what in effect was a, a five-man midfield when you're defense, being defensive and Colo through the centre. Um, but it worked, um, you know, and it, it took a little time. I think in the games where we did that, we seemed to just hold the play in the first half and then look much better in the second half. And away from home, you know, it, it's really paid dividends in the end. And, you know, that's where we got the results that have ultimately given us the points to keep us up. Because I don't think there's many fans that would go into Swansea away and Leeds away and say, yeah, we're going to get four points off of that. Um, and we did. Uh, likewise, at home, we didn't get quite the points we perhaps thought we were going to. Um, but, yeah, the formation, you know, he'd it, it, obviously done worked really hard for each game to, to look at who he was playing and how he was playing them. Um, and, and it worked. And as you said earlier, quick to change tactics if it wasn't quite right um, in any in particular game. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that we've never, ever criticised Nathan for on this podcast and never will do is it is the amount of hard work that he puts in. That is an absolute given. And the fact that he's been able to come up with all these nuances in formations to the opposition that we've come up against in such a short space of time to prepare for each of them uh, really is a testament to the work that um, that he puts in. Do you think, is, uh, sorry, sorry, Kev, I was just going to ask Simon, um, do you think he's learned from his time away? I think potentially, um, I think, you know, when he's gone to Stoke, he's had a very different squad to work with there and the way of playing. And I think, you know, he's learned from his time there. But I, I also, as Kevin put on it, there's no disputing the amount of work goes on behind the scenes in preparation for every game. And I think what his time away has done is it's given him more time to experience other teams, championship football, um, look to see what else is out there, what's worked against sides. You know, he's come up against the same opponents, in effect, than he did um, earlier in the season. So he's learned from that. Um, I think he took points off Leeds with Stoke, didn't he? And, you know, we got a point against them. And it's things like that that have certainly helped. Um, but I also think the time and the extra time away that he's had that has given him more experience and, and more knowledge. And, you know, as Kevin said, he's so passionate um, and desire to do well that uh, all of that put together has, has, has paid dividends for Luton at the end of this season. Yeah, it really has. Um just a great few weeks, actually, to be fair. Um, but, you know, this is our third season that we've done this podcast. And one of the things that we always do at the end of each season is go through the season as a whole. Um, James, I'll start with you on this one because <laughs> I've got a funny feeling you'll remember the first night. And I'm not sure what much else you remember <laughs> of the season at the early stages. But we did start it near enough a year ago to the day that we are recording this podcast at home to Middlesbrough. It was one of the magical nights I've had as a Luton fan. We've mentioned it on this podcast a few times. Uh, it's on your, it's all over your website and everything else. But you know, just what it was, just a great night that 
kind of encapsulated everything that was to follow about the season in terms of the emotional roller coaster just in those 90 minutes alone. Oh, yeah, yeah, not off. It was, uh, it was an electric night. I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record uh, explaining why, why I felt it was such an important night, but, you know, the, the songs of the fans about Luton being back. And ultimately, if you fast forward almost a year on, uh, they're not only back, but they're staying there. So um, it, it was one of those games where it, it had everything, uh, you know, sort of going behind Sonny Bradley scoring. They made a bit of habit of that on TV, didn't they? Um, you know, sort of going ahead, Simon Sluger's blunder, which sort of characterised his season up until what well, he got back in the t- team around Christmas time. And, uh, uh, and ultimately getting something to to uh, get a point out of it. So, um, yeah, it was a great day. And um, to be honest, uh, there were a lot of, there were, there were far too many days that weren't anywhere like that. Um, and, uh, but we knew it. I, I mean, it wasn't a surprise. That was the thing that we all thought that it would be a, it'd be a battle to stay up. Um, so it was, it was just kind of the, I don't know, the, the relentless drudgery of it because we're just not used to that. We haven't been used to that for nearly on a decade. Um, it, 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 it sort of did weigh you down a bit. And, uh, you know, I can, I might not be able to remember all the games, but I can certainly remember sitting there and watching Brentford whack seven goals in. <laughs> uh, that was not a good day. And that sort of uh, epitomised, um, the low points I think but um, but then they sort of came back in the next game they beat Wigan so it was just it is a bonkers league really it is it really is a bonkers league because uh, you know whether you're a big club or a small club in that division anyone can win um, and then sort of to 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 sort of build up a little bit of a head of esteem just before the pandemic struck, which obviously we didn't know was going to happen at the time, kind of put a bit of um, spring in the step. And, you know, I've spoken about it before, but that that save that Simon Sluger made against Wigan in the final game before lockdown, it felt like a massive, massive moment to, at the time, Wigan hadn't pulled away from the bottom, uh, I don't think, and it felt like a huge moment because Luton was so under the cosh towards the end of that game that it felt like those were the games that they would be losing earlier in the season and they'd sort of arrested that a little bit with, uh, you know, a wonderful piece of agility. Um, so I had a bit of hope after that game and then then uh, <laughs> we sat in our houses for three months and didn't do anything. But uh, everything since then uh, has been... It, it, it has, I think you alluded to it earlier, it has felt like the movement of the last few seasons. Just that sort of, this, this team ethic and that, that you don't get, it's a very special thing, I think, and probably something that Nathan has found by the fact that he's gone away and had to spend you know, the, the best part of nine months with a bunch of prima donnas. That <laughs> he's come, he come back to a Luton team that he knows but they're 
Uh, and we know the recruitment policy. We know that they're recruiting not just for their football ability, but because of their characters that he knows that he can rely on. And um, it it just it just showed from from the first game. I mean, it, it takes that sort of grip to to get something from nothing, and that's what they did in that first game because they they pressed them with a better side, and they, you know, McManaman pops over a great goal, and then you're off and running, and so. It's a, it's one of it's it's going to be looked back. I think, and it's one of these very very strange periods where you have a couple of seasons within the season, and um, ultimately the the bit before lockdown was was it kind of feels now like just getting used to the league, and and the bit after it feels like delivering. Yeah, this has been a bonkers season, that is for sure. I've always had you down as a uh, good journalist and you just reminded me why. You always remember the bad and gloss over the good. Much <laughs> like most of your profession uh, happens to do, which is fair play to you. Mick, we, obviously we know now um, what we know, but actually if I take you back to August, there were signs that we were going to be more than competitive in this league. I mean, we lost three games in August, but they were all by the odd goal to Cardiff, mm-hmm. West Brom and at Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, but then we won three games in a week, home to Huddersfield, and uh, sorry, away to Barnsley, away to Cardiff in the Cup, and at home to Huddersfield. And actually, at the end of August, I remember thinking, we're all right here. It, it wasn't too bad at all. It, it was absolutely wonderful. What a month. Um, so proud to, to be a Luton Town supporter. Um, it wasn't so long ago I was going to Eastbourne Borough, and Welling United and Ebbsfleet and all that stuff. And where you think where we've come from in such a short time, I'm out, absolutely blown away and very proud of um, the whole club, um, the players, the staff, the board, everyone involved with Luton Town. We were, it was unbelievable. And yes, at the end of August, we looked quite comfortable. And, um, you know, it, it, I couldn't see what was coming at that point. But, you know, it didn't look possible. We looked mid-table, at, you know, and, and, and doing very, very well. Um, but... What my last point, I think, was two two things. was Derby away. We lost 2-0, but it wasn't a 2-0 game. It was two mistakes. And um, the 7-0 at Brentford was probably the worst one. But then to come back and beat Wigan, as James just said, 2-1, and with George Moncur scoring the 93rd minute, was absolutely phenomenal. And, and again, galvanised the team. So it's, it's just been wonderful um, when you look at uh, some of the scores we've had. 3-0 against Bristol. I mean, Bristol were flying. And we hammered them that day. We looked absolutely fantastic. Um, one all away at Leeds United. Um, beat Swansea away. I mean, these are big clubs. And when you consider where we've come from in such a short period of time, nothing but proud. What an achievement. Simon, we looked kind of in a good position at the end of um, August. But in 25 minutes at QPR, we kind of got a sign of what was to come in the following, you know, three or four months because, well, we were put to the sword for 25 minutes there and again the following week at Hull and kind of became a little bit more of a struggle from September onwards. Yeah, it did. But, I mean, that QPR game, that could have easily turned back in our favour in the second half. I mean, they've gifted Harry a goal that he's taken really well um, and then Collo's pulled one back. And at 3-2 in that second half, I would not want it to have been a QPR fan because... Luton were all over them and I really thought you know we could we could turn turn this around but yeah it was it was one of those wasn't it that and then the following week of course the Hull defeat a um, couple of very late goals in that one from memory and yeah it did come into a, a, a trickier 
spell after, as you've said, quite a good start when things look positive. And, you know, just looking down, Mick mentioned that 3-0 win over Bristol City. That was sort of the only highlight, really, from the away win at Blackburn right through until the, the win against Charlton in later November. Um, you know, and then, of course, there was the Brentford game. And, and after the Wigan win, I mean, that was a tremendous game. You know, the last few minutes, McManaman and Monker, um, you know, just looking at the results then, eight game, eight league games after that, we only picked up one point um, in that 3-3, amazing 3-3 draw against Fulham. And that really was the, the area of the season where we dropped from being above the relegation zone and looking OK to actually, we've got a problem here, lads. We're going to need to pull out. Um, but of course, after that Fulham game, it wasn't until the last day of the season that we actually did finish. Uh, we, we were out of the bottom three. And in a crazy twist of fate on that night, I believe it's the only time since the first sort of week or so of the season that Charlton were in the bottom three. So um, what goes around comes around, I guess, with the comments that Lee Bowyer made shortly after uh, lockdown had finished about how it was us, Barnsley, and was it Hull already relegated and Charlton were going to be fine? Good luck to you um, in League One, Lee. Um, <laughs> Tony, actually a kind of theme of that sort of three-month period that Simon's just mentioned then was how competitive we were against the top sides in the division. When we went to Fulham, who were playing in the playoff final as I speak, we only lost 3-2 in a game where we more than gave as good as we got in that. It was only their extra quality that kind of beat us. The officials helped Leeds to a win down here. Simon's mentioned a 3-3 draw against Fulham, but preceding that, uh, we only lost 1-0 at home to Swansea, who were also in the playoffs. We were competitive against the good sides. It was those games that we, as fans, would have expected to win, the Stoke aways, the Birmingham at homes, those kind of things, where actually we let ourselves down a bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, we, we, we were competitive in certain games. I, I, um, and I, I think that overall the season, the tactics did change. We had to become a, a, a bit more of a, a, a defensive team, if you were. We couldn't go gung-ho like we did the season before and in the second division before that. Um, so we needed to, um, you know, be a bit more tactical. Um, and we, yeah, we could prove we could hold our own on the pitch with us with most other teams. But I think the big difference that came across to me was how these teams could play, yet they could punish us. You know, we needed more chances than they did to score. And if we didn't take our chances, that was it. I mean, you've only got to look at things like uh, the whole game at home, Swansea at home as well. And again, as you said, the Birmingham game, everything. You know, and, and, and the thing is, you can be competitive and you can, you know, you can put the effort in. But at the end of the day, it's all about picking up points. And, and I think the thing that almost killed us was that long run away from home where we didn't pick a point up. You know, but... but um, you, you, again, it's going back to what we said earlier. You can't look with the team spirit and everything else. And I think we, we've learnt this season. We, we had a very, very steep learning curve, and uh, we had to get in there, learn fast. Um, you know, perhaps that first game against Middlesbrough maybe gave us, you know, some false hope, as it were, because they didn't pull up any trees this season themselves, did they? And we played very well in that. And we thought, hey-ho, you know, uh, this isn't going to be as bad as um, as we thought. And as you said, it, it, August last year was 
was a good moment for us. But we, we pretty soon came down to earth with it with a slap, didn't we? So, um, but I, I, I think um, we'll have taken that on board, we'll have learned, and that will be put to good use next season. It will, yeah. James, middle of January, something changed. And we've um, highlighted it on this podcast a few times. The return of Glen Ray at Nottingham Forest. I know we went down in that game, but we led and it was only a shocking refereeing decision that got them back into it. But he, I remember a thing that he said to you guys after that game. And he was adamant that there was a good run coming from the from the club, from the from the players. And everyone was like, you're bonkers, mate. What in God's name are you talking about? But he was absolutely right. And he was a major reason behind that. Yeah, he was absolutely right. I think um, I think people were still reeling from that game because they just recorded a 92-year low in terms of away results, I think, hadn't they? So, uh, you know, that says the sort of relentless positivity of Glenn Ray. And I think that has an effect both off the pitch, or well, we know it does, uh, but on the pitch he was immense. And he was a, he was a huge galvanizing force they they didn't have that sort of player that uh, that does what he does um and don't forget in league one before he got injured he was exceptional he, and he, he he'd really you know come on from the the previous seasons and his time when he first got there when he was a bit of a utility man uh, and so when he when he when he came back it, it gave that bit more um, resilience, a bit more solidity in front of the defence, which I think Sonny Bradley and Matty Pearson really benefited from. Benefited from, but also I think <clears throat> Simon Sluger. You know, once it, once he came back in, um, he was he was such uh, a better player, uh, and I, I don't know what that possibly could be down to. I know he went away with international football and maybe had a bit of time away from the place. Maybe it was just that six month. Um, period that people say that some people, some foreign players coming into the country need to adjust. You know, you've got to take those things into account with with, with something like that because you know if he's if he's come over and he's sort of living out of a suitcase in a hotel, that's going to affect you. You know, regardless if you're on decent amount of money as a footballer, and certainly if you have to go to a different country and and learn the language and stuff, of course it's going to have an effect. So. And I don't know what the crowds are like in Croatia. Maybe they're a bit smaller and not so vociferous. Who knows? Um, I've got no frame of reference for it, but maybe that was a, a thing as well. And, you know, you go to those big grounds. You talk about Pride. Not, uh, is it Pride Park anymore? I'm not sure. Derby County's ground. You know, it is Pride Park, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> playing in front of that many that, that many fans and then um, making those mistakes is just going to sort of uh, keep, keep wearing on you. So it was right to take him out. But when he came back in, I thought he was exceptional. And I've already alluded to um, that save he made at Wigan, which was absolutely world-class. I don't think I've seen a save as good as that in the flesh for many a year, if, if ever. Um, uh, and so that was, that was a big uh, plus in terms of being able to arrest this huge, huge problem they had at the back which was letting goals in uh, and the goal difference that they had which um, they they clawed back uh, to some extent towards the end of the season helped on no less by uh, Wigan absolutely trancing um, <laughs> yeah. oh, 
That um, hole at the back that um, James mentioned, Mick, was filled the following week after the Glen Ray returned when Cameron Carter Vickers joined on loan. An absolutely immense loan signing, we now know. Uh, almost immediately, our defence improved. He only played 20 minutes against West Brom, but you could see that day he was a player. And although we lost to Cardiff the following week, we then went on that little run, didn't we, of sort of three wins and a draw from five that, that kind of included the Brentford win, the kind of revenge mission, the win over Sheffield Wednesday, which was equally as big, and that win at Middlesbrough, which for me kind of kick-started the recovery into life. February was a good month. February was a fantastic month. And uh, yes, I, I, I don't believe in coincidences. Um, Cameron came along and steadied the, the ship at the back. Um, he looks a real cool customer. Um, he reads the game well. Um, he's very rarely caught out of position. And uh, his distribution is also first class. And he has undoubtedly made a huge impact on the back four. And you just look at the goals conceded since he joined, it's considerably less. And, we, and, and the nil-nils that we've got, you know, it's been fantastic. So I think he he's, he made a huge difference. But I think also um, we started to see James Bree started, you know, to make more of an impact from February onwards. I think he was slow to start and he's a young lad learning his trade. And he started to get, you can see he getting more confident and his distribution and he was making more attacking play down the down the right. So I think he, he, he improved and that's probably because of uh, Cameron being there and and, and that uh, calming influence on everybody. And I think Bradley also stepped up. Um, So, yeah, I think the whole February experience was a real sort of a grounding for what was to come later in the season. And um, it really gave us hope, if you like. It did indeed, yeah. And Simon, actually, the weird thing was the goals dried up after Cameron joined. But actually, we allowed teams onto us a lot more when he was here and looked to hit them on the counter-attack. So in theory, the goals should have carried on being conceded when you think that teams were attacking us an awful lot more. It's just weird how that works out. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just looking at the stats while Mick was talking there. We've had seven clean sheets all season and six of them have come from Cameron's 15 starts for the club. You know, and and five of them have been... Sorry, three of them have been since the break. Um you know, it's it's just quite incredible turnaround that we'd had one clean sheet up until middle of February. And then from that point onwards, we've had a, another six. Um, so, yeah, Cameron's, you know, defensive qualities have been excellent. You think to begin with, he came in to replace Sonny Bradley. And then later on, it was instead of Matty Pearson. So, and at times, all of them were involved, weren't they? But, you know, it's a tremendous... The turnaround isn't down to one person, but it certainly has helped to have somebody like Cameron Carter-Vickers come into the squad and just help out in that defensive line um, late in the season. And yeah, the, the goals, I mean, we we never really set in the world alike with goals just looking down the list this season. And there was only two games that we didn't score in since he returned. Um, the nil-nil at Wigan, which was a great result when you look back. And of course, the Reading game, which we try our best not to talk about too much. So we won't dwell on that any longer. <laughs> yeah, you keep mentioning this Reading game, you lot. I've absolutely no idea what you're on about. Uh, <laughs> my memory's gone into James mode for um, that game. That's for sure. Just whilst you're with us, though, Simon, we've debated this on the last podcast. Where do you stand on the great debate in terms of best loan signings? Is Cameron, Vic- uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers number one? <sighs> 
he's certainly up there. Um, yeah, uh, you put me on the spot there, Kevin. Let's just have a quick think. I mean, the one you're that not you're not here for an easy time, mate. <laughs> <laughs> or to think. Um, yeah. I think you know. I mean, everyone kind of throws Steve Sutton and Rory Allen out yeah. as the kind of two, and then you know, further down, I kind of separated it into just loan signings, not loans that became permanent. And obviously, we hope that Cameron Vickers, Cameron Carter Vickers, goes on to become a permanent signing. So I've kind of alluded or escaped the likes of Rowan Vine and Cameron mm. McGeehan and things like that out of the equation. I'm just talking genuine temporary loan signings. Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly Rory Allen would be up there. I mean, his goals towards the end of the season were vital. Um, yeah, he was a great player. Cameron's come in. He, yeah, he's been superb. Um, I'm just trying to think of this. I don't think there's anybody else that you've significantly missed there. I mean, as you say, the pure loans that have then not returned. Um, you know, it, it does limit. But yeah, a cracking loan signing, whether or not, I mean, there was news coming out today that Tottenham are prepared to let him go, so we say, or, you know, him not be involved with their squad next season, so to speak. Um, whether we can afford him longer term, whether there's a potential for a loan season uh, long loan, um, that's one we're going to have to wait and see on. But, you know, if he's not back in a Luton Town shirt, then there's going to be another club after him. No, no two ways about it. And, you know, we wish him well and thank him for the time that he's had at Luton, but fingers crossed he's uh, allowed to his uh, 15 starts and one substitute appearance for us. Yeah, we absolutely um, thank him for the contribution that he's made. That is for sure. In fact, actually the only mistake Nathan Jones has made since he returned is not locking him in a darkened room and (laughs) um, making sure that nobody else has access to him forever and a day. Uh, Tony, if I'd said to you when this whole thing restarted, when we did the podcast ahead of the restart, that Luton are only going to win one home game for the remainder of the season, but we're going to stay up, what would your reaction have been? Uh, incredulous, actually. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, honestly, you know, like most of us, I couldn't see us getting anything from uh, Swansea or from Leeds, and, and we did. And it's typical Luton doing it the hard way, isn't it? Um, you know, and, and uh, it again, it just shows you what an amazing feat it's been to, to do that. Um, I was going to say to um, Simon on the loan signings, uh, Steve Sutton, another one, maybe before your time. No, no, I remember him from Forest. And uh, although he, he, he came from a certain side down the road, I think Clark Carlisle did well for us as well when he came in. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Um, but I think we even had throw the name out Sean Dyche as well, didn't we? I think he yes, was, a, was yes, he a loan he signing. Yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it, going back to what you're saying about Cameron Carter Vickers, I I think he he was a lot inspirational loan signing. Um, and not only did he replace Pierce at that times and replace Bradley. When they came in and played alongside him, they looked better players for it. Um, you know, and, and that's the sign of a, a, a talented, great player, you know. And, and you could see him. He, he was organising things and he, he read the game brilliantly. He knew where to be, um, you know, and, and he get in and he, he was so calm and collected and so comfortable on the ball. He was never scared to receive the ball in a difficult situation and was always looking for a, a decent pass out of it so you know that's um yeah top 
the probably the best loan signing I, I can remember for, for quite some time. Um, you know, but as you were saying, Kevin, you know, going back to highlights of the season, I'd, I'd just like to say that uh, the last five minutes against Wigan at home for me. Um, it's always great to see George Monkhurst score. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's worth it just for his celebration alone. And, 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 and that meant so much. Um, and, um, you know, overall, even though it's been trying and taxing season, I, I think it's been a good season. You know, as, as a supporter of a club, you you know, for the past, I don't know how many long seasons we, 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 we've been used to winning, having a winning time, certainly since... Uh, We've finished out the playoffs in 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 the conference, um, but since then we 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 basically had a winning side, and uh, you know that I, th- I think a lot of it when we came into the championship, those of us who'd been around for a while knew it was going to be hard, um, and so consistently de- getting defeats um, is pretty hard for a lot of fans. So um, yeah, I, I, I think it's been. Um, Three seasons in a row that have been monumental seasons for us. Um, and now we've proved we can compete at this level. It's time to move on and move forward again. Yeah, I think I'm right in saying that the only time we've lowered our league position since that famous day that we did the podcast on it, the FA Cup win over Norwich, hmm. there's only been one season that we finished lower than the season before. And that was the season that um, Nathan took over the first time when we basically wrote a lot of that season off. Mm. Um, James, we've spoken a lot about the, lo- the loan signers in particular in the last 10 or 15 minutes. And amazingly, we've got this far into the podcast without mentioning Izzy Brown, which I'm sure you'll be more than happy to put right because you've been a big fan of his this season. But what's really impressed me about Izzy in recent times in particular is not his play on the field. That's always impressive. But actually, you can tell there's a genuine infinity- affinity for the club just by looking at his social media feeds and his reaction after the final day of the season. That's not you just, I don't care, the kind of loan signing. That's a that's a guy who's actually got a bit of an affinity for the club as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think it speaks volumes for the strength in the dressing room, really. They probably welcomed him in. Um, and uh, it, it was obviously, he's an obvious talent. Uh, I think um, Simon uh, has put me right before that... Uh, that they haven't always needed him, but when he has been on song, uh, he's been an absolute joy to watch. Uh, I think uh, it might be, a, it might be a, his sort of off the field stuff might be a sort of symptom from being at Chelsea and earning a damn fine living, but not necessarily feeling much love there uh, and getting found out from to different places every season. Uh, also is, is is Mrs. the Lucy Farm girl, so there'll be a, a Luton connection there. I think just as a, uh, somebody was saying earlier in the in the podcast that Nathan's a good fit. Sometimes you find as a player, you just get there and you enjoy yourself. And uh, you know, I'd love to see him back, but I think the wage uh, is salary will inhibit that. And, and I don't mean to burst anyone's bubble, but I think that's probably going to be the case with Cameron Carter-Vickers as well, because I, I can't envisage that Luton are going to bust their salary cap. And we know it's around about six six grand a week, and that's just that's not going to cut it for some Premier League players. I mean, it'd be amazing if they if they just took a huge 
pay cut and, and came back and you've got those players. But um, I, I can't particularly see it myself. My jaw will hit the floor if they do come back. And, uh, but I, I'm not afraid to be wrong. In fact, I welcome it. Well, in these days of technology, if I catch wind that it's going to happen, I will be straight onto <laughs> Zoom to get an, a recording of your jaw hitting the floor. I mean, you know, it shouldn't be ruled out because I remember thinking, or everyone saying sort of six years ago, there's no way Cameron McGee will sign permanently for Luton after his loan spell in the conference, and he did. And there's a few of the West Ham contingent, Elliot Lee being one of them, that many thought would never come and drop down to Luton, and they did. It's like you say, sometimes the club just the player just falls in love with the club, and we've got to hope that that's the case with those two. One other player that I quickly want to mention for his, sorry, two other players that I want to mention for their contributions throughout the season. And I'll come to you, Mick, uh, for the first of those. James Collins. Uh, The last two years, there have been question marks over A, whether he's good enough in League One and then B, whether he can cut it in the Championship. Uh, He's he's answered both emphatically. He's been absolutely amazing. Um, he, He is what Luton is about. He gives 100%. He battles. He fights. He'll play in any position. He, he was put wide by Graham Jones. Um, his pre- preference, obviously, is down the centre, um, where I like to see him play, and obviously Nathan. Um, but he's he's done it extremely well. And on those doubts who said, oh, oh, he did all right in League Two, he won't do well in League One. Well, he jolly well did. And not only has he done well in League One, he's um, become a really good championship player. And an international. Um, I think he looks a class act. And we mustn't take away the, the, um, the fact that he also defends well. When he comes back, he's, he's there and he's, he's fighting for the ball. So I think he's done extremely well. Um, can I just take this opportunity to say, because I'm, as a guest, I also want to mention Pelly. Um, I think the guy is amazing. He's a, he's a living legend. He was conference football. He's been League Two, League One, now Championship. He's done over, what, 250 games for the club, played against 93 different teams. And for me, he is absolutely amazing. Um, and I'm really proud to see him play well in the Championship. I think he's an immense player. And, and, and another, another one, actually, who typifies the team spirit and what Luton's about, really. Yeah, you've um, every right to mention him. And it's actually an oversight on my part that we've gone this far without mentioning him, because he has indeed been a key performer um, of this season. Uh, the one thing you didn't mention about James Collins is, unlike John Terry, he can slip and still score a penalty. Yeah. Which, thank <laughs> the Lord he can do that, because um, who knows where we'd have been had he not have done that. Um, Simon, any stats for Collins this season, off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, obviously he's got 14 goals in the Championship, five of them from the penalty spot, so, you know, he's... As Mick said, he wasn't playing in perhaps his most favoured position for quite a few games. Um, you know, goals across the championship. When you look at, he's got fourteen. Harry's next on nine. Um, we'll be hoping that Mister Own Goals is featuring well next season because he was actually our third top scorer with five. So um, <laughs> you know, we we might need a little bit of help elsewhere. But no, Colo's done superb. You know, every time as people have said, we've got promoted. They've said, "Oh, will he cut it at that level?" And I think he's just shown exactly what he's capable of. Um, I think it's fair to say he doesn't score the goals that you will necessarily remember. Um, you know, there's no bangers like Pelly, are there? They're, he's just there as a striker. There's some, been some brave headers, been some close range ones. And then, as I said, five from the penalty spot that have been different each time. And, you know, he's needed to be cool and 
calm and composed at some critical games um, that has, has given us the valuable points. And he does work so hard um, mm. and, and rightly got his um, international call up and great to see him on the score sheet as well earlier in the season. And, you know, once it's uh, back to a bit more normality, we hope he can continue uh, representing his country. Yeah, hopefully he's a busy boy next season with international and domestic football. Um, Tony, I'll come to you for the other one. Harry Cornick, uh, you've mentioned in previous podcasts how improved he is. Uh, he also had a big part to play in that Blackburn win, going down for the penalty. Um, if we see the same improvement again next season from what we've seen this season, we're likely to have a very, very, very good player on our hands. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, he, he's come on in leaps and bounds. Um, and he's proved he can, um, you know, he can he can cut it at this level. The the also the other um, area is improved is in his physicality. He gets more stuck in now, and he's harder to shake off the ball. But we all know the one area he needs to really work on, and I'm sure he is, and that's his finishing. Uh, I mean, there have been two really bad misses over the last few weeks, but then he, he, he pops up with the banger at Leeds, doesn't he? You know, and uh, I think if he keeps going, he, he's still young. Uh, he's still learning his stride. And, uh, you you know, OK, he misses chances, but he does create a lot as well. You know, and, and the defences in this league don't know how to handle him. So, um, you know, that's another reason why I'm glad we, we've stayed up because we're, you know, we... We could have lost lost him if we'd have gone down. So, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he how he progresses, and uh, you know, really looking forward to see Harry Cornick when he is the complete article, as it were. Yeah, thankfully that miss against Barnsley is mere um, irrelevance to the season rather than the footnote of it. Um, I think it's fair to say. We've got round to the time where we, where each of you are going to pick out your favourite moment of the season. Tony went early with the Wigan game, which is absolutely fine. I'll give James a bit more thinking time because he's never up on the ball on these things. So I'll come to Simon. Um, Simon, you've seen all 46 games and, and cup games on top of them. Which memory uh, stands out for you? Uh, you? You can't pick one, can you? Physically not possible to pick one from this season. I mean... The ultimate of it is, of course, the final whistle at Kenilworth Road, beating Blackburn to to maintain the championship uh, survival. You know, they, you, you're going to struggle to say something else was a better feeling. But the highlights, you know, we've mentioned um, the start of the season against Middlesbrough, Sonny Bradley's goal. That was a terrific goal. Uh, George Moncur's celebration against Wigan turned out to be his only goal of the season. But key was how key was that? Um, some of the away wins you know, really enjoyable winning up at Blackburn, the first away win, the first home in everything that's positive about the season. Um, it's so difficult, but, you, you know, the final whistle and the, just the the relief, the the pride of following Luton Town Football Club and watching the players, you know, come back from what was at one point, I think it was before the Sheffield Wednesday game because we played on the Wednesday night, we were 10 points from safety and the goal difference. Um, you know, and to turn that around since that, that was game 32. So in the next 14, well, in the 15 games, including that one, to turn around what was a 10 point plus goal difference difference to survive by a couple of points, I just think tremendous effort. And yeah, I, I, it took me a while for my heart rate and the adrenaline to, to slow down after that final whistle against Blackburn. So I think for me, just the, 
the pure euphoria and relief of that final whistle that is the moment of, of celebration yeah it took me a few more cans of beer to um <laughs> come down to come back down to earth after that final whistle that's um, fair to say mick which moment of the season uh, will you look back on the most fondly fondly well i, I, I... I have to say the Blackburn game, of course I do, and, um, and I won't repeat uh, what Simon said because um, I 100% agree with that. But I, I love the Derby match when we we won 3-2 and uh, Wayne Rooney, you know, and I, I just thought that was just fantastic. It was a, a Tuesday night, if I remember, under the floodlights at Kenny and the atmosphere was rocking. Um, we were far, far the better side and to rub it in with Wayne Rooney and uh, showing what what a good club we are and what a good football team we are, the cocky git. So I might have to say that. Um, it, it was fantastic. It absolutely was, yep. Um, our friend Mr. Rangel popped up for us that night, which was jolly good of him. And, of course, there was the memes that were going around after the game, weren't there, with uh, the dash between Rooney's three and two. Um, yeah. Uh, which was which was brilliant. I know Tony enjoyed that one. It it, it landed in nearly every WhatsApp that me and him are uh, are in. So uh, he was definitely fond on that. James, your moment of the season. You've covered near enough all the games, apart from the two that I did for you. Um, what's your standout moment? I have to say, for a pure one split second magical moment, I'd I'd go for um, the Wildwires goal at Hull because. The moment he scored it, the timing of uh, of the goal, scoring it from absolutely miles out, um, a lovely drop of the shoulder, and uh, and then whacking it low, and the celebrations that followed, and I genuinely thought at the point before um, uh, Loon brought on the subs around the 70th minute that it was going to be one of those games that just got away, and a point maybe, but neither team really could have afforded a point. In- what, they both had to win that game. So to have done it in the fashion that it did so late on, you know, the whole players knew the, the, the gig was up then. Um, and it, it put Luton in control of their own destiny. And I, I wrote at the time that it could turn out to be a, a £6 million strike. And, uh, you know, I know that Luton had to go on to Blackburn and, and win, and they did. But, uh, you know, without that goal, without that magic moment, and the pictures which will last a long time, I think, um, just sort of sum up that this amazing period of um, pulling off this great great escape. Yeah, it really did. Um, not convinced it was my neighbour's favourite moment because I had the family all around for a barbecue that day and I think they've still got a headache from the celebrations when that goal went in, even though they weren't in my garden. Um but yeah, what a moment. I mean, and the somersaults, there's something about Kazenga Lua Lua's goals that are aided by his celebration. It's just a fantastic, I know Nathan doesn't like it, but I hope, I'm hoping he let him off on that occasion because it's just fantastic. I, I, I didn't see the somersaults until I watched the highlights programme the following night because I was, oh, I'd gone. But um, it's just really good celebrations. I hope we get to see them next season. I really hope that he signs the contract that's on the table for him. They're all absolutely great moments. Really, really good to um, look back on and reminisce from those from what has been a real highlight season. Let's briefly finish this podcast by looking ahead to next season. Um, I know everyone's looking forward to a certain couple of games next season. James, you've never reported on them. Simon, you've never commentated on them. Uh, and so it's, the derby is back. But I think 
Tony, there's another derby for you, isn't there? Wickham, I'm sure you'll be looking forward to that. <laughs> I was waiting for that, Kev. I was absolutely waiting for that. Um, he thought he'd got rid of them. You can't believe it. Like a stain, aren't they? You can't get rid of them. You know, did, 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 I have mixed feelings about Wickham. Um, you know, it, it, it's always good to get out of that place, but it's always a pain in the arse um, trying to get away from that stadium. Um, These boys don't know what you mean because they're all happy as Larry in the press box until after the game. <laughs> Trust yeah. me, Kevin, even after an hour after the final whistle when we come out, there's still a queue of traffic. Oh, sure, sure. I, I, I can quite believe you because I was still in there till an hour and a half after it last time. <laughs> and, and, you know, every time I've been there, it's always been freezing cold. Do you remember the game? I think it was a Boxing Day a few seasons ago when they when they first put that marquee up, mm. and uh, we went in the marquee and we came out because it was colder in the marquee than it was outside. <laughs> that sums them up for me. Um, you know, they, they, they're going to be in the situation, I, I suppose, where they'll have less money to spend than we will. So they're going to go through the season that we've had, um, hopefully. And, um, you know, hopefully they, they they might finish in a relevant position at the end of the season. Yeah, in all seriousness, though, it's been 15 years since we've played Watford, but we have that to look forward to next season. Yeah. I mean, how much are you looking forward to that one? Oh, immensely. I mean, they're, they're, they're always good fun. Um, you know, they, they, I don't think they're looking forward to it. They're, they're supporters. Um, because when they, when they come up they're, they're here, they're, they're, there's very few of them. Um, but when, when we play at their place, uh, it looks like our lot take over their town for the day or the, or the night. You know, and uh, I've, I've got every feeling that um, Watford away is going to be one of the first games of the season so that there'll be no fans at it. And you might even get both games in the first few weeks, you know. But I am looking forward to it. Um, you know, it, it, in general, most of the time, it, it, it's a loot and win. Um, we've got every incentive for it this time. Um, they've got problems. Um it's going to be fun how they cope with uh, reduced finances. They took that loan out um, uh, against uh, TV revenue money. They're not going to get that. Uh, they owe they owe a lot of money. I'm led to believe. So they, um, you know, it looks like most of that parachute money will go on that. So they, they they've got a lot of um, expensive players. And one of the uh, fatal mistakes they made was not putting a relegation clause into the contracts. So it's going to be interesting. I, I, I think by the time we play them, I think you probably might see a, a completely different um, Watford team. And if they have got any money left over, they'll probably be paying off 10 managers by the time the season starts. So um, won't be an awful lot left there. James, I know you're excited about this game. You, you've never covered the derby. It's the one thing you want to do. Um, you'll be able to do it, whether there's crowds there or whether there isn't crowds there. Just how much are you looking forward to that? And actually, I guess from a, from a Nathan Jones point of view, it's probably not a bad thing if there isn't a crowd there. Because if, it, if there's a crowd at Vicarage Road, I'd dread to think of the carnage he could create with his antics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's probably mellowed a little bit, actually. I mean, maybe that's just because there are. Yeah, no that fans might and, change on that day. Yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe. But uh, no, I'm I, I'm looking forward to it immensely. I've never uh, covered 
um, a, a Watford Luton game. You know, I've, I've I've been to you know Liverpool and uh, seen them down at our place and uh, you know all, all manner of grounds, but never ever uh, a derby match. I've had to put up with blooming Stevenage for <laughs> for quite a long time, and that never felt like a derby to me. But uh, this one, this one's the big one, and um, I just. I hope that they are uh, entering into in, entering into a basket case uh, state, what, the likes of Huddersfield, where they just can't cope with coming down again, um, and they've got a lot of players on higher wages, and they struggle. Uh, I do fear if they manage to uh, turn it round a bit when they come down and be quite good, that they uh, that that could pose a bit of a problem, but. Um, I, I, I'm like Tony. I think they're going to have to sell a, a, a lot of their players, or maybe the players will go. I mean, Troy Deeney is Mr. Watford, isn't he? And he's already saying he might have played his last game. So uh, it's going to be a, a, a wonderful. Um, hopefully, it's going to be a wonderful atmosphere that, that fans can get back in. Uh, but just the anticipation around that game, considering the amount of time that's gone between, and, and how low Luton have gone, and how high Watford have gone. It's going to be uh, it's going to be so exciting in the build up. Tell you what, the crowd- I was going to say, tell you what, you know, if if the crowds are allowed back in by the you know the time we go down there, and you get in their ground, it, it's like a traffic warden's convention with all the high vis jackets and everything, you know, because <laughs> that's what their shirts remind me of. It's just high vis jackets, you know. You see them walking in the town of Watford. When you see them wearing a Watford shirt, I keep looking for the roadworks to see where they're digging. You know? <laughs> Whether there's a crowd in there or not, Simon. Um... You'll be commentating on it, and you know you've commentated on some famous goals in the past at Luton. But if there's a winning goal in one of those two games, I mean that's going to be a magical experience. Oh yeah, it'd be incredible. Um, yeah, it's something that you, you dream of and you look forward to, and we hope it's going to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, we just got to wait and see now when the fixtures come out, what the situation is when we're playing them. Um, I think generally speaking, it's always good to play the relegated sides earlier in the season. Um, you know, before they've really settled and found their feet or they're still recovering, especially with such a short pre-season this year. Um, So aside from, obviously, it'd be fantastic to have fans there, generally speaking, playing the teams that are relegated uh, early part, as we've seen in the past, you know, we've beaten, when we got promoted before, we beat Crystal Palace and Southampton in the early first few games of the season. You know, it'd be great to, to get one of those teams early doors get the victory on the board and you know really show the championship what we're capable of um, but yeah it's going to be uh, you know great to be back on level playing field uh, as far as the league uh, status is concerned with ourselves and our rivals um, and uh, let's hope we can keep that uh, good run against them going I hope you get the opportunity to outdo your Oxford commentary. <laughs> That's one of the things I'm looking forward to next week. Your commentary when we score again, mate. That's, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking of, yeah. That and um, you mentioned Sean Dyche earlier. Uh, when we went there in the Cup in 2002, was it? He was actually our best player, even though he played for Watford that day. Uh, yeah. Nick, uh, the, the battle with Vicarage Road. That's the yeah. one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mick, it's been a while. I'm sure you've seen many a derby down the years. How much are you looking forward to this one? Oh, 
it's, it's massive. It's big, isn't it? I mean, yes, I've, uh, I can go back a lot, a lot of years. And uh, uh, um, I think the last game was 16 years ago, 2-1 away. Victory was fantastic. And uh, I think Matty Spring broke the net that day. Mm. Um, and Boxing Day rings a bell when we won 1-0 away. Um, back in, uh, I think it was at the ages, Tony. Um, Sorry, mate. In Boxing Day in the eighties, I think was the. Yeah, it, it was about uh, seventy nine, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was seventy nine. Yeah, which he can't remember anything about the goal. <laughs> <laughs> and then gives you about a minute long explanation of exactly every pass that went into the build up to it, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> but um, it's, it's absolutely the, the match to, to to look forward to um, next season, both home and away, and can't wait for it. James, are there any other games um, that you're looking forward to? I know we've still got to complete the lineup, and I keep looking around, and there's still no goals in this Brentford Fulham game. Um, Bournemouth down here, which will be the return of Jack Stacey. Yeah, it's such a shame for Jack, isn't it? That um, oh, and Bournemouth were quite well back to get up in the Premier League. This uh, make no mistake, uh, make no bones about that. There wasn't this um, sort of massively rags the riches story they, they've oh, got it does quite, my head in yeah, they've, they've got quite a wealthy bloke uh, yeah throwing cash at them but um i think that they will struggle to get back up um they were woeful uh in the in the running i say so, I, I, like i say i just feel like quite sad for, for jack luton have obviously made a lot of money out of him and he got to go and play in the premier league but to go from a winning side and a you know the best player, one of the best players in that win inside, and have to then experience the relegations must be horrible for him. I wouldn't mind if the next manager at Bournemouth doesn't fancy him and wants to flog him off. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, anyone who would have him back? Yeah, I'm sure oh. would have him. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly looking forward to that game. We've done that one, and we went at the FA Cup last year, and it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's not very. It's not that impressive a ground. Um, I don't know. So I, I kind of would like to, the games that I would like to see. I, I really enjoyed the Coventry games, apart from the cold one. Uh, just the cold. <laughs> I enjoyed the game, the cold one where it was raining on me in the stand in the Rico. But I, I did enjoy the, uh, the Coventry games. That'd be quite nice to play them again because they'll feel like they're back in the, the division that they deserve to be in as well. Um, and. Uh, some of the some of the bigger teams up near the um, up the top end who Luton have shown that they can more than compete with, particularly in this last run in. So um, I think it's probably it's going to. I mean they've they've done that for years actually, haven't they? In cup competitions, shown they can compete against those teams. It really is, as someone alluded to earlier, about beating those teams that you're expected to get something out of. You know, if you can if you can do that, it will make such a difference, and hopefully won't mean. That come the end of the season, it's a it's a nail biter on the final day. Yeah, indeed. Uh, there's a few returning players um, coming back to Kenilworth Road next season. Actually, Simon, we've just gone through the whole derby and not mentioned Andre Gray, who will obviously be coming back for the first time in a competitive game at the very least. I'm sure he's um, his reception will be interesting. It's fair to say, but there are others. There's plenty at Norwich, aren't there? Youth teamers that are now first teamers one or two others that, that that will be coming back that we've not seen before. So there's a there's a bit of a theme there. 
Yeah, it certainly is. Um, that's assuming that they're still at their clubs, of course, because of course. I think, you know, money-wise, Norwich, um, they've, they've been buying players already. So you wonder whether somebody's going to go. And there's a lot of talk about Max Ahrens, wasn't there? Um, the potential uh, for one of, uh, I think, was it Bayern Munich were interested? Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you've, they've got Akin Femwo there and um, as well. So, yeah, there's, you know, I think... The, the majority of players will get a, a good reception when they come back to Luton. Um, I think if Andre hadn't been with any, been at any other club, I think he would have got a very good reception. But um, the fact that he's with them might, might just change uh, how he's welcomed onto the Kenilworth Road pitch, shall we say. I think yeah. Agent Gray's done a wonderful job. Yeah, <laughs> Agent Gray is there, there is on Twitter, isn't there? <laughs> He's done a brilliant job, but probably best not to do an Alex Lawless and do a tour of the ground after the game. I'll I tell you what, Kev. One thing that's great to look forward to is the restoration of the natural order of things. <laughs> As us being above them. And the, the top club in the, in the area. It's a long time coming, but it will happen. That That's a good point, actually, for me, that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, is that... Um, now the, the the regional news broadcasters are going to have to put Luton as top billing. Um, you know they'll probably still go for Norwich, but uh, everyone's level playing field now. It'd be Norwich, Luton, and Wickham that they have to put first. So um, that'd be nice to to see because um, quite what anybody gets from watching those broadcasts. If you live in Luton, Norwich means absolutely nothing to you. <laughs> it's like it's it's not the same part of the world. So. To be honest, I can say, I think out of the clubs that have come down from the Premiership, I think Norwich are probably the best, the ones that's best equipped to go straight back up. Because yeah, I'd agree. They didn't, um, they didn't overspend, did they? I mean, and... Uh, they looked pretty tasty side in pre-season as well, didn't they? They gave, yeah, they gave a little whooping in pre-season. Yeah. Just whether they can hold on to the likes of Pookie and Aaron's and that, isn't it, that makes a big difference to their... They brought in a lot of players already as I say so you know they'll go into pre-season strong but I think that they're, they're a club that have continued to yo-yo I think they've got more Premier League relegations than any other side haven't they because of course football didn't start in the top flight uh, before 1992 but um, you said that Simon it's got to be true yeah. <laughs> but um, you know they're a team that again if they don't start particularly well um, you know that's going to be one of those that could get drawn into middle of the table and not doing much yeah, that's right. Uh, you mentioned there, actually, that they've been signing players and things. What do we need next season, Mick? Uh, at the time of recording this podcast, Danny Hilton and Luke Berry have signed up for two more years, which is fantastic news. We hope, no, we don't, we pray that Glenn Ray does likewise, Kazenga Luluwa and Elliot Lee. What else do you think, what else would you like to see, sorry, ahead of the new season? I'd like to see um, a good right back. Um, whether that's James Bree, if not someone, uh, some someone in that ilk, I think that's absolutely vital. Um, obviously, we've mentioned at great length Cameron, um, but if it's not Cameron, I think we need we need some backup and uh, um, some strength there. Uh, we rely too much on Matty Pearson, Sonny Bradley. One of those two gets injured, we haven't necessarily got the coverage, and possibly a, a midfield holding player. Um, we pray Glenn re-signs. Um, he's, he'll be immense for us, but I think we need some cover there, if not. But I just want to say what a revelation um, Luke Berry's been since he's got back inside. 
and I'm thrilled to bits that he's uh, re-signed for the club. Very underestimated, I think he's been over the years, and um, he proved himself big time over the last nine games. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And some of the balls he managed to put through to set Cornick on his way were wonderful. And yeah. I think his form uh, and uh, also the fact that uh, Luton have got Union O'Kane to come back probably means that it won't be the, the, the worst miss in the world if they can't get the likes of Brown back on loan because they've got players that can do that in that position. Luke Berry has been absolutely fantastic. Having said anything about Kane, I was going to ask, has anybody heard anything? He's, he's sticking with the club. It, it was always a plan to rehab. Um, I don't think you'll see him first half of the season, probably. But uh, um, that's it was a shrewd move, I think, just to get him back. He's obviously going to be there. Was it such a shame? Because he looked so good when he, when he came in for us, didn't he? Yeah, he looked, he looked absolute quality. And um, yeah, such bad luck for the lad. But uh you know, if Leeds don't want him, I think uh, if he can get back to that sort of form, then he'll be a, he'll be a proper player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tony's favourite player because he destroyed Wickham that um, <laughs> that day. That's for sure. I'll keep with you then, James, because I can see that Tony's scoffing a pizza. Um, and it's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> which, um, which 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 positions do you want strengthening, filling in the in the uh, transfer window? Um. Yeah, right back would be one. I really would like to see James Bree back. I mean, um, I thought he was next to useless uh, at the start of the season, but he was playing on the been played on the left, and um, he, he really has impressed and, and turned around that those opinions because I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Um, I think Mick said earlier that he, he's probably argue, he's arguably like the, the most improved since the restart, and I, I can't disagree with that. So that'd be nice to to get him back. Um, I think that you know to stand any chance of it, Villa probably had to stay up in the Premier League, so they've done that. So that might be good news. Um, uh, defensive midfield, yeah, possibly because when Glenn Ray was out, they didn't have any real cover for that. Um, whereas in the previous season, they had um, they had Maka there that could could do the job uh, and, and slide in on people from six miles away and <laughs> get get the, those vital tackles in that got the crowd riled up, that sort of thing. So that'd be good. But yeah, I mean, I think Glen Ray's so important that I, I see on Twitter already people are like go, passing the days by going, where's the news and stuff? And obviously there's been some rumour about um, Millwall. Uh, and, and that's kind of the thing. That is kind of the worry with any of the Luton players that have particularly done well is that um, we all are aware of Luton's budgetary constraints. And if another team can come in and virtually double the double the wages, then um, you know you, you know yourself. If you if you, somebody offered you that, you'd, you'd bite their hand off for whatever you did, uh, whatever you do in your in your work life. So. Uh, that, that is a worry. I, I don't know if there's any um, credence to that rumour, by the way. But um, uh, I mean, I slightly ve- veered from your question there and start talking about players I want to stay. But <laughs> um, I think it, it, it can't hurt to always have a bit of um, striking competition. Uh, but we know how hard those players are to come by. I think it, you, you might be looking at a lone player. I, I note that Millwall did 
get Troy Parrott or Parrot from Spurs, someone like that maybe. But you've got Danny Hilton to come back. He 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 played all but twenty minutes combined in two games uh, for Graham Jones, and uh, he featured in in the restart every game. So if he can get back some way to uh, his form of the you know the two three seasons before that, then uh, that that's another boost. So I think. Uh, they, they obviously need some strength and depth. Uh, well, we thought they needed some strength and depth, but like Nathan's job at getting those players coming in from the cold to to play so well um, could could be that, and we could just see that the the form and the the way that the team have played and the way they fought for each other in those nine games could be could be the way forward when previous managers didn't think it was. Yeah, he seems pretty comfortable with the um, squad that he's got. Simon, I'll change tack slightly when I come to you. And um, just a mention for the two players that have left the club since the end of the end of the second end of the season, um, Callum McManaman and Jacob Butterfield. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the decision that they needed to be released. Callum picked up, I think, was it four league goals this season? Third highest um, from a Luton player. But again... You know, most of them, 13 substitute appearances, only started uh, 10, 10 games. So, you know, didn't get a huge amount of game time, which he'll be disappointed at. Um, and I think there was more to see from Callum. I mean, he loved scoring the late goals, didn't he? Um, Jacob Butterfield, again, started the season, um, was a regular for sort of the first half a dozen games or so, scored a great goal at Barnsley, and then just seemed to drift out of favour. And for a long period of time, we didn't even see him in the squad. So, you know, we wish both those players well because they've had a part to play. They've had a you know a key part at times. Um, but, you know, Nathan Jones is both with the players that he's got in the squad and the money that he's got available. He has to make decisions and it's always disappointing for players to, to leave the club and we wish them well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Callum McManaman, like you say, massive contribution. Uh, injury time goals against Millwall. Well, not quite injury time goal against Preston, was it? But who knows where we'd have been had that goal not gone in. And of course, he got the first one of that Wigan comeback that you've mm. all mentioned um, as well. I can't remember his other goal, but I'm sure it was equally as important. And um, good luck to good luck to him in particular. He put a nice message out on Twitter, didn't he? Um, saying that the club's a proper club, things like that. Butterfield seems to be a bit of an enigma, doesn't he? Every manager loves him for a couple of weeks and then he's cast out with washing for, um, for a while. But he was good to watch as well, and he got started uh, at Barnsley, didn't he, earlier in the season? So, um, best of luck to him too, gents. It's been good to go through one of the most emotional seasons, roller coaster of a season that I can remember. And uh, the good news for the regulars amongst you is that in about four to five weeks' time, we get to do it all over again. Uh, thankfully, as a Championship club, but can't like wait, can't wait, Kev. I need to thank uh, Tony, Simon, James for joining me regularly throughout this season. Your contributions have been brilliant. Mick, you've been fantastic tonight. Hope you've enjoyed being with us. Love to have you back again at some point next season as well. Um, All that's left to say is have a good three or four weeks and I'll see you all prior to the 12th of September. Cheers, Cheers, fellas. Bye.